Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, um, before we get started, I do want to uh, first give a shout out to Pastor James, who uh, just was preaching so diligently through that classes and session. Wasn't that a blessing? Yeah. I also need to give a shout out to, she's not here, she comes to the, new, uh, the noon service, but to my wife, Tamika. It's her birthday today. Yes. Yeah. And uh, just I'm so grateful for her. I've said it before, but it bears repeating. Yeah. That anything that you've received from me that's been a blessing to you is also a result of her ministry. Um, she, you know, is, helps me. She's my ride or die. We have been booed up for 24 years. 21 of those married. And, um, and, and this is a, a word of encouragement because the time period in which I was in college and I had kind of surveyed the campus and I was like, yo, I'm trying to live for Jesus and not that, that kind of narrows the field down to like a couple people. And I was like, yo, I don't think I'm going to find anybody who I could actually be equally yoked with for like after I graduate or something because I was looking with my eyes. But don't you know, God doesn't look with your eyes. And so this one incredible woman came down like an angel uh, at church. I was thinking in college, but I met her at church. Yes, at church. That's where we met. And, um, and what I discovered is when I stopped chasing Miss Right Now, I found Miss Right. That's a word for somebody now. Stop chasing Miss or Mr. Right Now so that you can make space and God can make space for Mr. or Mrs. Right. Amen. But the reality is, even after that decision on, on waiting and trusting God, we still had to learn about this aspect of waiting. Somebody say waiting. waiting. Now, there's certain people that some of us are very impatient. We don't like to wait for things. We, we get antsy when we're in a line. We start to like kind of get a tick. And God forbid we leave our phone someplace and we're in a line. Then we really are in trouble, right? But uh, when we were first getting established, uh, we lived, we got married. I was doing ministry with actually Pastor James the first year in D.C. at Howard. Uh, and then he moved on and uh, my wife and daughter came and we were in the same actually apartment. So we were looking to be homeowners. And as y'all can probably, some of y'all know, early 2000s housing prices were like just escalating, skyrocketing. And at that point, we had had several decades of just a straight line of housing values increasing. And so the prevailing wisdom was if you're renting, you're wasting money, right? Like this. And so we felt like in order to be responsible, I'm a husband, I'm a father, that I got to do this. And people were basically just saying, don't just stand there, do something. Right. Like get your weight up, get your chips up, like 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 do something like move. And so uh, we tried to start doing that. And then the ministry moved us to Florida. And so now it's several years that we have been going through this process of saving and looking for homes. And and, and it really was starting to feel like, is this ever going to happen? Well, we ended up uh, getting approved for a house um, and. 
after we got approved, because you know you have to put like several thousand dollars down to say like whether you commit to this or not, it's yours, right? Like this, our, this money is ours. And as I was driving by the house one night, I just got this really unsettled feeling. I just was like, I don't think this is what we're supposed to be doing. But at our, you know, I'm not walking away from three thousand dollars like that. We just just to go away. But I, and I, and it was so it got so heavy, and I was really thinking like, is God telling me no? As we were driving to like sign the papers, the agent was actually consoling me because I was like just feeling this sense of like dread about this. Well, I remember the first week we moved in, we did end up signing the papers and, and moving in. In the first week, the previous owners had a subscription to the paper, the Wall Street uh, Journal. And the first time I pick up the paper, it says housing prices fall for the first time in years. And what happened next? Some of y'all will remember that bubble burst, which wouldn't have been so bad had not the Lord revealed just a few months after living there that he was moving us to Indiana from Orlando. And I had no, I had, that was not even on our radar screen. And so I'm there in this scenario, and now all of a sudden, I regret it. Don't just do something. Don't just stand there, do something. I regretted it. And we live in a culture, especially in this city, right? Things change in a New York minute. Rise and grind. Carpe diem. Seize the day. Don't just stand there, do something is the mantra in the model of what we are around. It's fast paced, things change quickly, and so you gotta move. We are saturated in a culture that finds it not just hard to wait, wrong to wait. Then (laughs) we tend to fuse that cultural sensibility with some spirituality on it. Don't just do something Don't just stand there, do something for God. (laughs) We do the little remix, the Jesus chook on it. And now it's like, well, you know, I got to do this because the Lord wants me to do it. But what we're going to talk about today is that when the world says, don't just stand there, do something. God says, don't just do something, be still. Don't just do something, be still. This is we're talking about a faith that waits. And for those of us who have a hard time waiting, this might be a bit of a challenge, but I encourage you that there's going to be some hope and light at the end of this tunnel. So when we last left off a few weeks ago in Genesis, we had looked at um, the promise that God had given Abraham, you know, back in Genesis chapter 12. He said, I'm, I'm calling you out of your you know, Ur of the Chaldees, where your father is, where your family is. I'm sending you away. And there's two challenges to that for Abraham. Back in that time, or Abram at the time, in that time, one's security, sense of safety was found. It was a patriarchal society, and so resources were passed from the father to the son. And and that meant land and all of the father's acquisitions. So for Abram to move, it meant to go away from all of the very ways in which people thought this is how you acquire wealth and status and significance. But it also was very dangerous because you went and, you know, when people would say, like, uh, you're not from around here anyway, somebody can just decide the native, the locals where you decide to settle can just rob you. Right. And there's no recourse. But then in addition to that, God didn't even tell him where he was going. He just said, go to the place I will show you. Now, imagine that you pack up, you leave. 
and you don't even know. Where you're, where, so where are you going? I don't know. I'm just going until God tells me to stop. So this was very challenging, but they went with faith. And, he, and God said, I'll make a name for you, which was very significant. Abram's name meant exalted father. But the problem was when God revealed himself, he was 75 years old. Sarah was 10 years younger, about 65, and they had no kids, which in that time period was clearly evidence that in people's mind that somebody was infertile or that God was or the gods were not pleased with them. And so for God to give them this hope, give them this light, I'm going to make your name great, was this, this, this enthusiasm that was like, okay, I can trust God for this. And I mean, even though 75 still sounds like mad old for like, you know, having a kid, I mean, we, there is precedent in our society today. I don't know if you know, Robert De Niro had a child when he was 68. Mick Jagger at 73. <laughs> People are like, oh, right. And, and according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the oldest woman on record to have a child is 74. So the, the oldest woman to give birth is 74 years old. That, yes, in India. Yeah. So it is possible. So like they can see it in the realm of possibility at this time if God moves real quick. But now by chapter 15, God has not moved quick. Years and years and years have passed by. So in Genesis chapter 15, it's so deep that Abram thinks that, well, maybe God is going to make my name great through my servant who lives in my house. And that's kind of like him trying to figure out how God is going to do this thing. And that's where we find ourselves in Genesis 16, because God says, no, I'm not doing it through your servant is going to be through your seed. And that's, that's where we find ourselves in, in Genesis 16. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant it may be that I shall obtain, obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Well, we are finding ourselves in a very interesting Maury Povich type situation right now. <laughs> Sarah realizes she's infertile. And it's hard to describe how devastating this would have been to Sarah and Abram. Abram. And many of us today who desire to start or grow a family may know and experience this pain. Uh, Tamika and I have experienced it. And as I was preparing, she even encouraged me to share aspects of our story because we tried and tried and were left devastated when uh, she actually had a life-threatening ectopic pregnancy and landed in a hospital. And so it was really heartbreaking to just see and experience these trials and not see it you know, result in a child. And as heartbreaking as that was to us, if you go back in time to the ancient Near East and to that culture, you can even see a more dire situation. Because you see, in that society, as we mentioned before, children were the sense of someone's glory, their honor for a woman, that sense of worth and significance. That was how they saw it. 
And so to realize that you were barren would be almost like studying for the LSATs, becoming a lawyer, and then before you get your first case, being disbarred. Like all of it was just, it was more than just not having this child. It was also the sense of identity. And every time Abram heard his name, exalted father, exalted father, exalted father, exalted father, exalted father, exalted father. It was a reminder of what he wasn't. So even though to us as modern readers, we look at this and go, what was Sarai Sarai thinking? This is like crazy. It's not as far-fetched when you think about a surrogate, you know, that people have today or just, you know, scenarios that they work out. They were feeling the pressure. But notice also she said, God, the Lord has prevented me. So there's also a sense of bitterness, a sense of resentment about, wait a minute, God, you you said I was going to, what happened? Their hearts were both screaming, don't just stand there, do something. So we see what happens. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. She looked with contempt on her mistress. Another part of this story that we don't want to overlook is Hagar's part in the story. You know, the translation we read is servant, but she was essentially a slave. Like, likely uh, when they were in Egypt, um, and there was a whole other situation where Abraham was saying, well, just tell them that you're my sister and, you know, all that. Which it was because he was afraid of that they would kill him for Sarai. Um, they were left. They left Egypt and were given uh, various gifts, including probably Hagar. And we don't know a little. We don't know why she ended up in that circumstance. Oftentimes, in that time period, if somebody was in debt or someone's family was in debt, that they didn't have credit cards, that was the only way of working things off. It could have been that kind of scenario. We don't know exactly what it was, but what we do know is that after Hagar was to have this child, it would be given to Sarai to raise as her own. And so you can imagine how traumatic that situation is for Hagar as she doesn't have any say or autonomy in any of this process. But then also, who knows, maybe was it Sarai just bitter and envious? I mean, her man did just, you know, lay with a younger woman and then have a child that she was desperately wanting to have. We don't know what started it, but What we do know is that by the end, Sarai is resenting the fact that she didn't just stand there, but did something. And I think that we can all be be there sometimes, right? Like be at a place where we, I know for me, like I, when I'm rushing and if I'm driving someplace and like the, you know, you see on the map and you see that red line, that's like, yo, it's about to be traffic for a while, but then you see like an estimated route ETA, and then you turn it off and you realize the route that you turn off of is actually worse than just standing there in traffic, right? Like we all have these moments where the fix is worse than the problem. And when we trust, when we, when we deviate from trusting God, the, the fix is often worse than the problem itself. And so in a plot twist, Hagar runs 
She runs away. She, she flees uh, later on in chapter 16. And in this moment, because remember, God is saying, like, you know, this isn't the way that it was supposed to happen. But God still shows up with Hagar when she's despondent and really even suicidal and says, that, you know, I see you. And in fact, Hagar is the first person in the Bible to name God. She names him the God who sees me. And meets her there and tells her that she and this child, Ishmael, will be blessed in spite of the circumstances from which it happened. God restores Hagar. But the moment in the situation leaves a very deep divide both, I think, with Abram and Sarai, with God and each other. How do we know this? They stop communicating. Years go by. 13 years goes by before there's any more communication between Abram and God that's recorded. Just like in the garden, they blame each other, right? Abram, it says, just listen to the voice of Sarai. Okay, You want me to have sex with this beautiful young woman? I guess I'll just do my duty and do it. And then when he does, Sarah goes, you know, like, it's your fault. You put me in this situation, right? And so both of them blame each other just like their ancestors did. And we end up in a scenario where we realize and reckon with the wrongness of our decisions and our choices. And then we start to hide from God. Ever been there? Well, I can't talk to God now because of who I just laid with or what I, the decision I just made. So I'll just have like a cooling off period where I'll just kind of stay distant for a while so that I don't come into his presence and he strike me down. And before we know it, days turn to weeks, weeks turn to months. A few days without doing a devotional turns into I don't even remember the last time I prayed. And why would he want to see me or hear from me anyway? Have you ever moved when God called you to be still and then regretted it? Well, in my case, this is what happened with that house situation. We ended up um, renting it for a few years, trying to, you know, uh, just, you know, there were other folks that were coming through with the ministry while we were in Indiana and Orlando. And uh, what ended up happening was I remember we were like, yo, this renting thing. We didn't buy this house to be renters. What would happen if we just sold it? And I remember this day like it was yesterday. Went on Zillow. Zillow is a website that tells you how much your property value is worth compared to the values of those in your community. We bought the house for $159,000. That was our mortgage. I went on Zillow and saw that its worth was $23,000. Bubble. Yeah, I'm going to just let you sit with that for a second. So it was a crisis, and we were like, oh, man, this decision sticks with you. Some decisions stick with you for a while. But um, fortunately, after a few years of just dumping money into this money pit, uh, we were able to do a short sale. We were able to do a short sale, which we were grateful for, sold it at a loss, but it stayed on my credit report for seven years. And sometimes we feel like when we make wrong decisions, it just stays on your ledger, just stays on your report day after day. It just haunts you, hovers over you. 
for years. And then we think like God, even for eternity. But the good news is God isn't done speaking. And he's not done with us yet. Let's keep going. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. Oh, this is good news. Do you see, first of all, we see 99 years. Like, you know, so you see the time period that has elapsed from when this whole ordeal happened. This is 13 years later because they had been in the land for 10 years. That was 85. Now we're at 99. So 13, 14 years. And we, God just appears to him. Abram doesn't just kind of go and say, yo, I'm sorry. I know I kind of messed up. None of that. God reveals himself. And then he just kind of hits the reset button. Just walk with me. Be blameless. Blameless. Is that still an option now? Blameless after what we've done? And it says, and I will make my covenant, my agreement, my promise to you between me and you. And you still may increase greatly. All the promises that I initially said in Genesis chapter 12, 24 years ago, still in place, even though you took the longest detour imaginable. I'm still committed to you. And look at Abram's reaction. He fell on his face in worship. You see, now, previously, in, in 16, Abram had listened to the voice of Sarai. Now he's listening to the voice of the Lord. There's a big difference when you listen to the voice of others versus when you listen to the voice of the Lord. He's just desperate for God now. He had now has a faith that is willing to wait. And so the first aspect of what do we do to have a faith that waits? Worship while you wait. Worship while you wait. Worship means to ascribe value and worth to and and to choose to assign worth and value to God, even if you're not seeing the thing you're waiting for. Which one is more important? Your status, your job situation, your relationship status or God? If it is God, then I can believe that God is doing something in the waiting. He reminds us that there are angles and possibilities that we cannot see. And we can be like Job, who said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Some of us came in here distracted and discouraged today because of something you're waiting for, because of a situation that you thought should have already changed by now. And then the words of worship started taking place. Then you start to see Latish jumping around and the worship team running around. And you just kind of reminded of the goodness of God and reminded of the fact that, yo, he is good, even if I'm not getting the thing that I want or deserve or I'm hurting by. Worship is a choice. That's why David said to himself in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. He's commanding himself to bless God in spite of how he feels. Sometimes you got to have a bless the Lord, oh my soul, a Psalm 103 type perspective. I'm going to get up. It sucks. I'm not where I was supposed to be. I'm not where I thought I would be. But bless the Lord, oh my soul. Abram chose to bow down, face to the floor, and worship God in spite of everything that had happened. And look, and God continues, right? And God said to him, behold, in verse 4. My covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. 
No longer shall your name be Abram, exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you, and I will give to you and to your offspring after after you, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Do you notice who's doing the action? God is on. I will do this. I'm going to do that. And this is going to not just be for you, but for your generations and all the places that you travel all the way from Ur of the Chaldees to Canaan is going to be yours. And for them. God is the one doing the work, and he changes his name from Abram to Abraham as an expression because Abraham meant father of many nations. And he's like, my promise to you has not changed. But then he goes, "What? but wait, there's more. <laughs> and God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations, kings of peoples shall come from her. So he's like, yo, and the promise that I set that really was from the beginning in chapter 12, 20-something years ago, is still in place and intact, even though she's 90, and you 99 now. Funny that you laugh. Very appropriate that you laugh. Y'all must have saw the next passage. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He's like, yo, just like y'all, like, yo, that's crazy. That's crazy. That can't happen. Grandma having kids? Like, no, that ain't a possibility, right? So then he goes back to, well, can you just work it out so that I know I made a mistake, but can you just like use the mistake to make your blessings come through? Like the way that you're saying, because what you're saying is so unrealistic that I don't want to hinge my hope on this unrealistic thing happening. So like, let's do like plan B instead. And look at, and God said, verse 19, no, (laughs) no. Let me just stop there for a second. No, I'm not going to use your way, the the way that you've made mistakes, and I'm not going to do it that way. I'm still going to do it the way that I want to do it because I'm God. No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. Abraham still can't believe this promise that God is saying. And if you were realistic, it's a stretch. (laughs) It's hard to believe. But as Sarah would later ask, is anything too hard for God? That's a question that sometimes we have to ask ourselves when we're trusting God for what seems impossible. Is anything too hard for God? Please, class, answer. No. No, it's not. Now, and the, another thing is that it's a couple, like the, he's doing this through them together, which is why Sarai's name has to change too. 
In the scriptures, whenever there's a name change, it's significant of what God is doing in the person's life. We later would see when God changes Jacob's name, that's Isaac's son, to Israel. We see Simon's name, Jesus changes it to Peter. And it's when you wait on God, God will call you by a new name. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, I know growing up, I was called different names. You know, I was called corny. I was called whack. I was called short. But God, in his word, literally calls you by a new name. My son, my daughter, my child. And we get to transfer those beliefs and that confidence that we have based on trying to prove the haters wrong or prove those who believe in us right. Incredible burden to bear. And instead, God says, just wait and be still. I've called you a different name. Sarah's name means princess. And these name changes are symbolic and significant of the covenant that he's establishing with them because he's like, you're royalty now, sister. You're more than just the sum of your mistakes. You're more than just who you slept with or who you told your husband to sleep with. You're more than just what you've done in the past. You are royalty. And don't you know that God calls us by that name as well? And Peter, he says, you're a royal nation, a holy priesthood. You know what I mean? People called by my name. Don't let people call you out your name. God has a great name for you. And here's the beautiful thing, because even though they had both sinned against a holy God, they both rebelled against what he has said. The good news is God calls you by your future, not by your past. Oh, somebody should get excited about that. God calls you by your future and not your past. When he changed Simon's name to Peter, that meant rock. Simon was anything but steady at the time that he called him that. Even right here, you know, he calls Abraham father of many nations. They still ain't got no nations that they're seeing, but he calls them in advance. He calls it that on credit. God calls you holy. He calls you righteous. He calls you just. He calls you loving. You're like, but I still got mistakes. He's like, I, but I see the future as if it already is. And then that calls us to something to walk up to, to live up to. The covenant is supernatural. So, and I think I also love about this is even though um, they kind of took this left turn in terms of with Ishmael, he still blesses Ishmael as well. He doesn't do what a lot of times people, try, you know, get filled with shame and try to hide the child from the family and now they're not related. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to bless Ishmael as well. I'm gonna bless, everybody's getting blessed in this situation. I'm going to give that child the honor and dignity that he deserves as well. And let me just make another kind of somewhat awkward observation. I mean, it's there latent in the text. But you know how we know that Abraham and Sarah believe the promises of God? This is how we know it. Because if think about you 99 and you 90. And God says, I'm going to bless you by you bearing, you know, having a child. Well, that's not going to happen through the immaculate conception right so at 99 and 90 Abraham had to look at Sarah and Sarah had to look at Abraham and go yo it's on tonight and as uncomfortable as that might make us it is evidence of the fact that they believe God because most 99 year olds ain't that's not where it ain't I mean it's just I'm just preaching the text y'all I promise you so and this is the and there's a lesson in that for us. We have to work while we wait. 
You have to work while you wait. You have to trust God for some things while you wait. Work on yourself while you wait. Work on your relationships with others while you wait. You better work while you wait. There's work to do. I'm telling you, they, that's how we know. It, it, God still redeems their decisions by blessing Ishmael, but then at the same time continues on with the supernatural way. He wanted them to see without a shadow of a doubt, it's me that did this. Not your own efforts, not your own ability, not your own cunning, not your own, I know you smart, I know you graduated top of your class, but God actually has an advanced degree in blessing people and doing miracles that's far beyond what we can see. And that's why it couldn't come through their means. It had to come through divine means. Sometimes God will answer your prayers in a way you didn't anticipate. You know, um, in our situation, like I shared earlier, um, you know, we just kind of, you know, at some point we realized this wasn't what the Lord had for us to have uh, biological children. And that was really a struggle because they were actually, there was this woman that when we first started in ministry had prophesied over us. and was like, I see many children. And we were like, wow. And we were like, she was lying. Uh, <laughs> Then an interesting thing happened. When we started leading the music ministry in Indiana that we were called to and gathering these different artists together, they started calling us Mama and Papa Barry. On their own. They just, that's the kind of relationship. They had affection for us and a connection with us that was like father to children. And so now, even whenever I travel, I was just in Texas uh, just this weekend, they come and see me and give me the type of honor that they would a father. Call me an adopted father. God will sometimes, and I'm like looking back, and I'm like, there's like a hundred of them over the span of eight years that God did. And, and it's incredibly touching and moving for us that God still worked, even though it was in a way that we didn't see. Do you have space for allowing God to do something in a way that you didn't see? Don't just do something. Be still. God will turn things around. God will give you a new name. But lastly, we must also remember that things take time and that waiting is part of the process. Even still at this point in the story, Abraham and Sarah, even when they have Isaac, Isaac is not nations. <laughs> Isaac is, and Isaac's name means laughter, by the way. So God has a sense of humor. He's like, oh, y'all laughing? Well, call him laughing. <laughs> Just call him laugh, since y'all think it's funny. Um, but... The cool thing is that Abraham and Sarah are both honored in the hall of faith. Look at in Hebrews 11. It goes down this whole roll call of all the people who trusted God for things that were amazing and miraculous and how God came through. And it says these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Do you realize we have to sometimes stop with these pity parties because God has something for us, somebody else so that now I have a story to tell. I can tell you about this bad decision I made about getting a house and how terrible the, the, the economy made and how we had to do a short sale and how that was one. But it also, I can also tell you God was faithful throughout the entire process. I can tell you about the challenges and the trials. Why? Because it is through us together, through the working of the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony that we lift each other up. 
And so through the struggles of Abraham and Sarah, we find our own sense of hope and perspective. He's saying that they didn't get everything immediately so that the future nations would be blessed by the perseverance and the trust in God and how long it would take. So Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12. Then those 12 have more. And before you know it, the thing is continuing to growing, but it's a family heirloom passed down from generation to generation. Even when you trust God and walk with him, you still have to continue to trust for what you may not see. So the last point here is to walk by faith while you wait. Walk by faith while you wait. Sometimes you don't see the incremental growth. Sometimes it's like an immediate change. And though they didn't get to see the promise fulfilled, think about it. The promise that they left all those many miles and had all the drama they had in their family... They got to see Isaac, but they didn't get to see nations. They didn't get to see the world blessed through them. But God set it up that way so that we could. Yo, check this out. Check this out. In Galatians, this is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ? He said, I will bless your seed. And God is so particular with the grammar. He makes it singular to say the nations are going to be blessed through one of your seed. Yeah, I'm going to bless the nations through one. Well, who is the one? Paul lets us know the one is Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and how he blesses the nations. This is why the genealogies matter. When you be like, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so But when you read Matthew and Luke, they, 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 you, you read the genealogies, you write, see it right there. He's the seed of Abraham. He's in his family tree. But not only that, do we get to see the hope that's in Jesus and the confidence that's in Jesus. But check out what Paul later goes on. Same chapter, Galatians 3, 28 and 29. He now says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. He says, there's still more. Not only is Jesus the fulfillment of the uh, promise, but so are you. My brother, so are you, my sister. You are literally walking proof of God's faithfulness in the generations. And that there is now, therefore, no Jew or Greek. You know, I mean, he's saying that the plan all along was to go and work through one particular group of people, one particular family, no matter how dysfunctional it was, no matter how broken it was. Amen. Some of us know about that in our families. And so I'm going to still work through all of that dysfunction to bring about the Messiah. And that Messiah is going to bring about a whole family of people who are going to have this kinship with each other, which is why we say brother and why we say sister. He's going to break down the patriarchal society that was set up that caused Hagar to be in that situation. The economic disparities, all of the things that cause division in our society. Jesus is the heir of that promise and says, now I'm building up my own community. I'm building up my own society. This is why we worship while you wait. This is why you work while you wait. This is why we walk by faith while we wait. Don't just do something. Be still. And know that he is God.
I don't know what that means for you today, but I know for me it means good news. It means the fact that God still calls me not by my past, not by what I did last week, last night, this morning, but he calls me by my future. He gives us a new name. What are you waiting for today? How might you be able to worship while you wait? To walk by faith while you wait. Um, I was, I remember being in Africa when I studied abroad in Cameroon. And it was this funny day where me and the other students from America, we were walking down uh, this road in uh, Chong, a small town in Cameroon. And it started to rain. It was near the equator, so it just poured down deluge. And we noticed that we, so we pulled out our umbrellas because we had these umbrellas. You we know, ah, we prepared. Ah. And as we're walking down the street with our umbrellas, we notice everybody else is just standing underneath shelter, just kind of chilling, waiting, looking at us like we're fools. <laughs> and we're walking, and even as we're walking through the umbrellas, you know, still the rain gets on your feet and your shoes, and we get a little muddy and get a little stained on our pants. And after about 10 minutes, it stopped. And everybody just went along with their day, and we're looking like, oh, that's why you just waited. Because <laughs> it didn't really help us now we got to do all this laundry and it just took more time (laughs) and it just showed me that the importance of patience there's a a phrase in Swahili topapa which is essentially willful waiting not waiting for your circumstances to change but the sense of embracing the wait for God to change you in the midst of the circumstance and that's the kind of God waiting that God invites us to. And you know, it's appropriate that we are celebrating communion today because communion is an expression of that process of waiting. It's an expression of what God has already done, but also what he's not yet done. Because you see, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so as we stand and uh, get ready to, yeah, thanks. Can't do this with both hands. Thank you. I want you to think about this picture that Jesus has given us in communion. He's saying, look, this bread is my body. This cup is my blood that's shed for you. And I want you to continue to remember my faithfulness in this life until I return. Do this and remember to me. Let's eat of the bread. And the reality is, why did Jesus have to go through all that? Because like Sarah, like Abraham... We've fallen short of God's glory. We've made decisions without consulting God that have caused harm in our lives and other people's lives. And we know that the scriptures tell us without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so what God did, it says in the fullness of time, while everybody waited to understand how this, 
how God would do that. How does a holy God reconcile with a sinful person? He says, I'm going to do it through my blood. I'm going to do it through my sacrifice. And so we drink. And he said, I won't drink this cup again until I return. We're still waiting for that. But as we wait, let us wait with a sense of expectation. Let us wait with a sense of purpose. And let us wait with a sense of worship for what it is that God is doing while we wait. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for what you're doing while we wait. We thank you that even when we fall short, even when we make mistakes, even when we try to do things on our own by the flesh, you still come to us and remind us that the covenant is still secure, that you still pursue us, God. Would you help us this week to trust you with that which we're waiting for? Would you help us to trust you more than the thing that we're waiting for? And see you as our greatest treasure. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.